Hi there, it's Grace Krivinger. Welcome back to the Art of What's Next podcast. And I think you're going to love today's episode. Libby Delena is here and she is someone who inspires me endlessly. I met Libby through an amazing cold water dipping collective here in the Bay Area. She got me to do something that I never thought I could do, which is swim in the very cold Sausalito Bay waters at sunrise. Uh, she's an amazing executive creative director and she's had an incredible career in advertising. But most recently, she's the co-host of the podcast This Morning Walk with Alex L. And she wrote a great book called Do Walk, Navigate Earth, Mind and Body Step by Step. In Libby's 12 years of walking, she has circumnavigated the earth and inspired so many people, including me, along the way. Without further ado, let's have a great conversation with Libby Delena. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad to have an amazing guest to share with you today. Um, my friend and someone that I have been dying to have a, a rich and deep conversation with, Libby Delena. So Libby, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I met you, Libby, through something that for me, was very much outside my comfort zone. I met you on the the beach in the Sausalito, Sausalito Bay uh, through a beautiful cold dipping collective called Ebb and Flow Collective. And my first day, I was terrified. I'm not a cold water person at all. Um, and I know, you know, I, even as I say it, I'm like, I shouldn't label myself that way, but it's just, it's just true. That's kind of how I, how I came to that day going, I was afraid. I was like, I'm not a cold water person. I'm much more the person that would sit on the side of a heated pool. Um, and I was looking out at the water a bit intimidated and there is this grounding presence that you bring, um, and this beautiful community of women that gather every morning at 7.00 AM, um, opening with a Mary Oliver poem, looking at the sunrise. And I have to say two things happened. One, that first day, as scared as I was, I knew I'd be back it, right away. I was like, this, this is a beautiful experience and I want to come back to it. And, and a pushing of my internal container, internal boundaries. Like I was way outside my comfort zone and I wanted to come back. And the second realization I had that day was that I really wanted to talk to you. Um, you just, you have a, a wisdom about you and a way of even that first morning, I felt a bit more grounded, a bit more just like curious. So I want to thank you for, for providing me with that experience. And I'm just excited. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I remember uh, meeting you and I felt the same way. So here we are having a conversation. And just just as a note, I mean, I don't know. I, I still approach the water some mornings with, you know, call it trepidation, call it fear, call it a pause, call it uncertainty. I mean, it's no joke getting in the cold water. And so I really respect anyone, respect you coming, even coming to the beach, carving out that space and time to try something you've never tried before uh, on behalf of your well-being. I mean, that is um, a powerful thing to do and to get up in what often is the dark on a cold morning and walk to the edge of a beach and then walk into 58 degree water um, is uh, is no joke. And I, th I think part of probably what you're feeling, um, thank you for the kind words, by the way, but I think part of what you were feeling was undoubtedly your 
um, own knowing that this um, practice and this community could be incredibly nourishing. And um, I think and certainly been the case for me when I started, I, I definitely identified as hating the cold. It was part of my narrative. It's how I identified. I know right where it came from. I was 13 years old in the backcountry hiking with a bunch of friends. We were out there for, I don't know, maybe a week or so. And one night I just got too cold and could not get warm to the point of fear. It's still embedded in my body, honestly, right? still in my bones. And um, I'm by nature an introvert. So in that moment, I was not comfortable asking my hiking friends and camping friends for help to make a fire or to get in their sleeping bag with them. So I I lived my life hating the cold and I spend most of my time in New England. And um, I guess it was about three years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to begin to understand whether we, these, these labels we put on ourselves that we identify with, are they changeable? Can we change those? I used to be the person who said, I hate the cold. I'd sit in my office with my puffy coat on in the middle of the summer. And um, yeah, so I, ident- I really identify with that that definition and feel it deeply in my bones. So really respect you for showing up uh, in the morning to, to approach that fear and that, um, you know, really looking at that that label and that attribute and, you know, wondering if it can shift. So well done. I mean, it's it's oh. a hard thing to do. <laughs> I can thank you. To be hard. I was I was proud. I have to say, yes, I was, and I continue to be. It's it's yes. what brings me back. And yes. and I remember a few times into it, you asked me if I had noticed any changes. And the biggest change that I have noticed is um, it there. It's psychologically this feeling of I can do something that I thought I was afraid of, and there's so much metaphor, you know, as we're as we're traveling through this, you know, uncertain and often turbulent life. And we're looking for clarity and answers and connection. And, and what I think is so beautiful about your work with what I've known of you in, in ebb and flow collective with the, the cold dipping, but also what I have learned about you through your podcast, which is this morning walk. And just for our listeners, um, Libby has walked every day since when is it? 2011? Oh, coming up on 12, 12 years. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts was that um, as a result, she has walked the distance of the circumference of the earth. That's amazing. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I think it's so, I think it's amazing. Well, what I think is so cool is that you're an example, a beautiful shining example of how we can come up to the edges of what we believe is possible for ourselves, how we can kind of journey through turbulence and uncertainty of life through in very unconventional ways that we may not think hold the answer. I think that we've been taught that clarity comes from very pragmatic action. Like, especially for a lot of my listeners that are um, really looking for what to do next in life. They want a meaning, they want meaningful work. They want to feel like they have purpose. They, But it's muddy out there. And so, and, and life is filled with responsibilities and, and trauma and drama and it just challenges. And so finding your path in, in terms of creating a next chapter can feel scary. And we're often fed as a society that it comes in pragmatic ways, like, you know, going back to school, changing career, you know, and so we, we can, I, we can start a seeker's journey 
in that more practical way. And what you're unveiling is that we can find the answers in really unconventional paths. And I, I really admire that. So I'd, I'd love to talk about what, you know, what you have learned in terms of creating your next chapter and what curiosity has come up for you, what enlightenment has come up for you, both in the ritual of cold dipping and in this morning walk that you have so beautifully done in the circumference of the earth. Um, so will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Just- no, it's a, it's a, I think it's an important note to, um, say that the conventional wisdom is conventional for a reason. It's it's usually tried and true, but that doesn't mean that there aren't, there isn't wisdom on the edges, right? Um, and I think, um, so my whole life completely changed about two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, the details of which are maybe uninteresting, except the way I defined myself um, completely shifted both personally and professionally. Yes. And at the time, um, I remember thinking, um, well, two things. One was I was incredibly grateful to have my walking practice, which for me is the equivalent of a seated practice. I'm just sort of antsy, so I walk. (laughs) And I walk with intention every day. I mean, I've certainly had many people say, well, yeah, I've walked every day for 12 years, and I'm sure that's true. And I'm sure there's many people who've gone many more miles. But for me, it's about um, setting an intention as I step out the door. I often carry with me, you know, something that I want to noodle with or understand or problem solve. Um, And for me, I actually don't know what I'm feeling unless I'm moving. So the way I describe it is by adding motion to my emotions, I'm able to unpack things. So for me, the walking journey is an intention in really understanding what my body is telling me. I spent so much time in my career was in advertising. I'm an art director, executive creative director for years and years. Still do that a bit, but uh, have shifted. But this walking practice ended up, has become really my best therapist, my creative play space. Um, and I would argue that, um, that's sort of true of the cold water, but I'll stick with the walking for a moment. The thing about my walking practice is by the time my life took a big turn, I'm 61 years old. Um, I knew I had this practice deeply, deeply uh, committed to it. The fidelity to myself for this practice meant that I could trust myself with this practice. And I could trust the fact that I knew the answers were actually in the walk. And that the only way I knew how for me, um, again, many many people are much more skilled at it, that but the way I have moved the the world is up in my head, problem solving, Um, and not paying a lot of attention to the sort of whispers in my um, bones. And so when life changed, and some of it was very unexpected and not particularly pleasant, I um, knew I had this walking practice. And I would extend my walks. Um, People often ask, how far do you go, how long it takes? I will just say, and I don't mean to be flip, it doesn't matter. My practice is my practice. I'm not suggesting there's a system or a ritual or any protocol that anybody else should follow it. My invitation is go for a walk and it'll be amazing what you can find. But for me, um, the unconventional piece of finding my next chapter resided in my walks. And the way I like to describe it is I don't happen to be a gamer. I I feel like I should play a a video game person. Right. But um, some friends or kids who I know talk about that the more you play, you are given keys and access to a new level. 
that's what I feel about my walking. The more I walk, the more I am given these incredible lessons. And I know I'd only get them because I've now walked for 12 years. I wouldn't have gotten these lessons on year one. And so for me, each walk is an opportunity to quiet my mind, mm -hmm. to listen, add motion to my emotions. And because again, that's the only way I can unpack it. Actually, my visualization as a visual person and as an art director, I used to think of my emotions as kind of like this string knot. And that I don't mean to imply anger or anything like that. It was just a knot, right? right? Like I couldn't identify any of the threads. But the more I walked, for those of you who are listening and not seeing my hands, the more I would walk, the more it would loosen. And I could begin to see the tethers and the threads. I could see where things were winding. So I began to be able to identify what it was that was important to me. So very long-winded way of saying to you that my walking was the tool that enabled me to get more in touch with honestly who I am and less with the sort of narrative of the the world, right? Yes. Um, here's what it takes to be successful. Here's what it takes. And I believed all that. And I, for my whole career, I believed that. And, um, and I, I'm not dismissing any of that, but what I'm saying is here now at this age, I know more what's successful for me and the direction I need to go. And I am much more in alignment with that. Um, and I would say, you know, I'm here in California now, this is probably terribly California, <laughs> but because I'm more in alignment with myself, I feel like the universe is like, okay, all right, now you're on track. So here you go. Here are these opportunities. And I will say the last two years of my life, I don't know anything about manifestation. I don't know anything. I, I just feel like I am so on my path. And what happens is all of a sudden, I now can see clearly where the opportunities are and I know what to step towards. And these opportunities are happening. So, I, you know, I do some work now in front of the camera. I never used to do that. Never, never would have done that. But, you know, we can talk about that more in a minute. But I will say it's with my walking and cold water um, where you do something that you think is really hard and you do it faithfully with fidelity and you learn to yes. trust yourself in that. To me, that's the only thing that's important about this morning walk is fidelity to the practice, not the miles, not the steps. Um, but it's in that, um, in that practice where I was able to probably see truly what my path is and not what culture's path was. Yeah. I mean, for those of you that are listening, I'm nodding vigorously throughout everything Libby just said. Um, it resonates with me so deeply because I, I have often said that there is one key difference between the people that make the kind of profound, impactful change that they crave and those that don't. And the ones that make the profound, impactful change that they crave are the ones that get up and do it. And it's the seeking, like it actually takes action. And there's this kind of fallacy, I think, and maybe it's subconscious, but I think some of us have a fallacy that our aha moment that we are, where the clarity we seek or our next step or what we should do in a painful situation is going to come to us in the shower. Like we're just going to get it for free. Right. And sometimes, you know, great ideas come in the shower. Don't get me wrong, but we have this kind of fallacy that it should just descend upon us. Right. And when you said, um, oh my gosh, faithful fidelity. Like it's just so beautiful because I was a ballet dancer. So I also, I was a ballet and contemporary dancer into my, um, I was a professional dancer until I was about 30 mm -hmm. and I am a somatic thinker. 
I cannot make decisions without moving my body. So when you said that, I was like, um, absolutely nodding, nodding ferociously. And, and the thing is, is that because through my dance training, I learned that what you do every day is life-changing, life-changing what you do 10 minutes every two weeks. Not so much, much. you know, not so much. It can move the dial a little bit, Yeah, but, but the real, um, profound change happens in the consistency. So I really appreciate that. And back to the sort of notion that you get given, I I've, I don't say given, you you learn more the more you do it. Yes. And again, I would the lessons I am learning now only are happening because I've done it every single day for 12, 12 years. And your point about action, I think is so important. I think there is a sort of um, common narrative out there about this sort of language of manifestation that you think about it and you write it down all of a sudden if you're deserving you get it or something you win something right and i just think the thing it to your point you actually there's a lot of walking analogies and you actually have to walk you have to walk forward you have to take the step and you got to keep yeah. walking and you got to walk in the rain you got to keep walking and even when you have a blister on your foot you have to believe in your ability to navigate that you, so action is and I do think also it is the action that gets you in alignment with what it is that you naturally should be doing, want to be doing, what lights you up. There's a be- I'm actually pulling out my phone here um, to find this really beautiful quote, which is basically, um, let's see, it is, it's the concept of um, look at what lights you up. When, when something lights you up, notice that. Notice it. Oh, here it is. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who've come alive. And the only place I knew to find what made me come alive, because again, I spent so much time up here and the voices of the the culture and our communities are loud. You shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing that. Um, It's not until we listen to what really makes us come alive and take action towards that, that I think, you know, that's when I think magic happens. That's when I think. And what you do in that moment is you, and this is, this is the, you know, where people can call us crazy because I I've done a lot of things without knowing why. And I'm sure you walked every day without knowing why I, I did a yoga teacher training program this year with, without knowing why I just wanted to do it. And I knew like, and what I was looking for from that was very similar to, I wanted consistency. I wanted depth of knowledge. I wanted community. I wanted to, to stretch myself and I, and I wanted to move my body because I knew I, I, I sort of knew that the clarity I was looking for, for my business and my career and my work, I shouldn't call it my career. Cause it's not my career. It's like this calling. It really is, you know, and I'm so lucky that I, have, have found it, but I treat it with preciousness. It's, it's very, it's deeply important to me. And I had this feeling that if I did this yoga teacher training, some of the answers to what I was looking for would be revealed for things way outside the yoga studio. And it was, it was true. And you're right with the, the each tiny step. Like, that's where I think that for me, the, I have enough data now on manifestation that I believe. You know, I have personal data that I can look back historically and say, when I took those tiny steps and kept following the breadcrumbs and kept my eyes open, things were revealed that weren't there before. And so it's like, 
you know, I'm in California too. So we can call it woo-woo manifestation, or we can just say like, hey, I'm looking back at like a whole depth of historical evidence in my life that says when I follow these steps consistently, when I stay open, and even I'm going to go deeper on the metaphor of walking. I was thinking like when I go through the gate, you know, like when I, when I walk, when I go through the expanse, when I go through the deep dark wood, when I go through the beauty of blue sky, when I get lost, when I find my way again, when someone helps me, like all the, I could go on and on forever because it's so like, that's the reveal, right? Like, that's right. I have a really dear friend. Her name is Tina Rotha, who's in Berg, um, otherwise known as Swiss Miss. Look her up. She started an incredible organization called Creative Mornings. And Oh, love Creative Atlanta. Mornings, yes. Oh, yeah. She's just brilliant. And um, she talks about the, the incredible um, magic that is enthusiasm. So she, she, you know, she started a number of companies. She is just absolutely beautiful, magic human being. And what for her, I mean, that quote I just read talks about, you know, notice what makes you come alive. I think in Tina's language would be notice where you come alive and then you just have brimming enthusiasm because enthusiasm is going to get you through those dark mornings when it's rainy cold and you have a blister. Um, You know, discipline will too, but enthusiasm is also contagious. And I think that's what's happened at our community dips is that, those of us who have now been getting in every morning have this just inherent um, bone deep enthusiasm for what that community and what the cold water can do. And so I love Tina's note that what we're all looking for is the thing that lights us up so much that we have just uncontained enthusiasm because it makes it contagious. And it also makes it easier for do doing the work that's needed in order to, to uh, sort of move forward. And yes. I just, I also love the joy that's embedded with enthusiasm. It's a it's an energy that's um, positive and bright, and um, so I think you're you know I, I think what we're both noting is that when we can find the thing that makes us feel alive, then it naturally um, leads to an enthusiastic way of living your life. You're on the right track, and most likely a whole ton of manifestations are going to happen. I have to tell you, in the last two years, I have a little manifestation ritual. And I grew up with a dad whose common uh, note was always, I'm six feet tall. And he he was six five. So in 1976, one year, he brought home a pair of um, platform shoes. So it made me six five. And his note was always dream bigger. Like, what do you do? Dream bigger. Um, he that is was so beautiful. I mean, <laughs> oh my God. He was the OG girl dad, quite honestly. And Seriously. In any case, so when I started sort of a couple of years ago and life changed, I was like, okay, I'm going to get on this train of dream bigger kind of. And I just started to write things down in various areas of my life. And they were big ideas, big things I wanted to have happen. And you know what? To your point, I look back now and I can check the box on many of those things. And now I'm feeling like I didn't dream big enough. I got to dream bigger. (laughs) But it is amazing when you write down those things and then you look back and see, oh my gosh. And I think the power of writing it down for me anyway, is I've now, to your point, taken that first action. I've put in the world, I've taken that first step, that momentum. My second step is always to say it out loud to somebody. And somebody always is saying, oh, I'll help you do that. 
Let me connect right. you to somebody. So and to your- it's, a, it's a way when you verbalize it, it's a way to know how it feels, how true it feels, right? right. Like sometimes I say things and I'm like, oh yeah, like I want that. I, I can do that. I yearn for that. I want to make that change. And sometimes I'll say something and be like, Okay, it it's still true, but it didn't like the fire in my belly like you're talking about. Like and so well said. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I have talked a lot about the way I started the Hivery. Um, my business, which is also a community, which is why I admire your community building and leadership so much. But um it it started out of this little green journal. I've talked about this little green journal where I had this journal. I felt very lost. It was a very dark time in my life, which I do want to talk about dark times in a second. But what's so interesting is that I would write in that journal every day. And then I would simultaneously tell myself, I have no idea what to do with this emotion, with this grief, with this, with my life, with my next chapter. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then I went back and read that journal. And I was saying the same things over and over and over again with a clarity that was profound. And when I read the green journal, it is what I created with the Hyvery. I talked about like, this light, bright, expansive space that was dedicated to women elevating their voices, honoring their unique potential. I like wrote the website copy in my journal and then would still say, and I don't know what to do because I had to, I I had to get it out and then go back and look and say, there are so many indicators, like the path is lit. And I just like, it, I almost had to believe myself, trust myself and see it in ink and see it again and again and again to go like, oh, I actually do know. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, I think that's, um, yeah. So I think if we weave together the things that you and I have talked about it is, um, yeah, listen to the, trust your whispers, trust the gut, maybe find a practice that helps you identify those. Uh, note what makes you ecstatic and enthusiastic and alive. Start writing it down. Um, say it out loud. And then repeat. And then, and then repeat. repeat. But it's interesting because I, um, you know, one of the things that you talked about, you know, like a personal professional life, um, I'll call it like a change, but sometimes it can be for many of us. And I've seen this at cold dipping and I certainly have seen it in my own life. Like we start to seek something new during very dark hours. You know, for yeah. me, it was grief. And I, I just wanted to tell you one story when I lost my little sister, Maggie, in 2018 to breast cancer, and it broke me. I mean, it was just like, it just, it broke my heart. It broke my, like, even just, you know, the way that you reach for the phone, the, the person that you call every day. And, um, and I remember, and I just couldn't stop walking after she died. I couldn't stop walking. And I, I remember one time, one of my favorite walks I ever did after my sister died I got to the top of Mount Tam, uh, which is my, um, gratefully, my neighborhood mountain and yours too. Um, I got to the top of Mount Tam before I kind of realized for myself that I was wearing a dress and flip-flops. Like I was not in hiking attire. I just started walking. I was wearing what I was wearing and I hit the mountain and I wasn't going at a fast pace. It didn't matter where I was going. Like you said, it didn't matter how the distance um, people don't normally hike in a sundress. It's just, I, I almost didn't even notice until I got there. And then I remember maybe a few days later, someone that was worried about me um, said, you know, Grace, you can't walk your grief off. And I kind of wondered, I'm like, I wonder if you can. I actually wonder if you can. I don't know. I mean, grief is such a, um, 
you know, unwieldy part of our lives that it's not, it's not prescribable. We can't say like, go for a walk every day for 700 days and things will be better. But there was, I just had this epiphany when that person said that to me, I was like, I, I, it's all I know to do right now. And so in those like deep, dark moments, I, we seek thing, we are seeking relief or seeking something, you know, it's just so uncomfortable in the, in the pain that life can, can deliver sometimes, um, whether it's through grief or loss or, you know, loss of who you, how you thought things were going to go or loss of relationship, or like, it doesn't even matter what the loss is, but we, we just seek a way out of the pain. And, and I, I do believe so many, um, I think the most profound change happens in the darkest hour. I think it's when you show up vulnerable and honest. And I see it so much in cold dipping where people say like, I, I was going through something so hard and it was in the water. I could, I felt some, and I, I don't even know if relief is the right word, but that they kept going back for the, there's some, I'm losing the word. Is it like, I don't know if it's clarity or a salve. I, I'm not sure. Um, but there's something in those dark moments that keeps you coming back, whether it's to the walk or the water. What do you think about that, about, about kind of the deepest, darkest hours of our lives and then how we seek? Oh, I think it's hundred percent true. First, I'm sorry about me or sister Maggie. When I go for a walk tomorrow, I'll hold her in my, my thoughts as I walk. I've been walking. Oh, she'll, she's a feisty one. She'll come visit you. She's like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, she's, she was the, the most outgoing, like just sparkly light. So whenever I'm on a walk and I see like a crazy hummingbird, I'm like, there she is. Okay. Yeah, I'll come yeah. see you. Don't worry. I'll, She'll I'll come look, say hi. Yeah, I'll look for her tomorrow. I would, um, my dad's birthday is coming up. He died many decades ago, but the other day I was like, geez, I need a little dad magic. <laughs> and I was walking along the trail and I, um, literally stopped on the trail. Cause up ahead, I saw a bobcat and bobcat literally came walking right towards me. I just decided to stay still. She walked right past me. I was like, oh, dad, like, wow. Like, okay. That was a level up. <laughs> I, yes. guess, I know. Dream bigger. I know. I got it. <laughs> um, but to your point about um, the the dark moments, um, the, the vision of you walking up the mountain in your flip-flops and your dress is uh, really beautiful. Um, and I'm sorry that, that it, it was around grief. Cause it, it, for me, visually it's that mountain is beautiful. I can imagine you holding your grief and your sister as you walk up there. And there's something very, um, grounding and primal in that. And I think that is perhaps why for you and me, maybe that, uh, going for a walk is, is the most powerful, most soothing uh, most comforting thing we can do. Um, I shared with you before we started recording that, uh, for me, one of my most profound walks was, um, I, after work one day, found out some really, really life altering news, which, um, fundamentally changed my life forever. And, uh, it's, uh, it was one of those moments where I thought, well, gee, I could go home and I could get in bed and pull my covers over my head and, you know, I don't know, pour a glass of tequila. I don't really, I mean, I drink to get, <laughs> that's not, that's not my MO. In any case, I decided really the best thing I could do at that moment was put on my walking shoes and walk. And um, I have a loop that I love. It's about five miles. And um, 
this news was so disruptive and so um uh it made me it made me question all sorts of things and i know i the reason i talk about fidelity and trust is i knew i could trust my walk i knew i could trust it i knew i could yes. trust myself with it i knew i could tr- that i held this walk in such high esteem but i also knew it held me it and so I put on my shoes. It was a beautiful night, actually. And I walked all night. And I would do a loop and I'd come back to the front step of my house. I'm like, do I need a cup of tea? Do I need to call a friend? Do I need to take a shower? Do I need... And what I need every time, the answer was go for another walk. And each lap sort of became, I don't know, I can't say that it was, uh, you know, one of the steps in grief, you know, anger. Right. But it was kind of close. It's kind of close. Each lap, I was sort of like, okay, there was a lap where I uh, honestly, I howled at the moon. I stomped. I, there was another lap where I was absolutely silent and very internal. So I think to your point, the thing I feel really grateful, it sounds like perhaps you had a similar thing, which was an instinct on what doesn't, it doesn't even have to be a 10 year long practice, but you had an instinct on where you might be able to find some comfort, nourishment, yeah. something. And for you and for me, it turns out to be walking. But I do think there is, it if we can create that space and that um, sort of place of reverence, the opportunity, to your point, is to find an incredible shift, incredible opportunity. Because it would, it, I don't want to say it'd be easy to just. I, I'll speak for myself. I could have very easily gone to bed. I suppose gotten caught up in my head, gone to work the next day, carried on, just sort of, in a way, executive functioned my way out of it. Right, exactly. Uh, which which I can do. I can, and I probably did that a lot. And what this practice enabled me back to is getting my body, understand what I was actually feeling. Um, and then as a result, because that was the truest place, <laughs> the executive functioning my way through it isn't, I mean, I'm capable of it, did it my whole career, but that wasn't the truest place. The truest place was actually with deep sadness and shock and bereave, you know, grief. Yes. yes and yes. Um, I think it was only in, in creating that space for myself to actually note those things that then I'm able to heal because now I can identify what it is. Otherwise I'd just be putting band-aids on shit all day long. Um, so I, you know, certainly had some other really profound walks, but that in one, just to relate and uh, walk side by side with you in, in a dark moment when a practice that we had became a uh, antidote. Yeah. It's powerful. It's, it's interesting because I've thought about this before and I have, I, I always wanted, I want to be careful because I, you know, I, because I have experienced grief and loss with many, not just my sister, but many other members of my family. And I know, how um, insidious grief is. It kind of comes back at, you know, I remember my mom died, um, let's see, 12 years ago now. And a a couple of years ago, I was in line at the grocery store and I saw a woman with her mom and holding a turkey. They were getting ready for Thanksgiving dinner. And I like totally lost my crap, you know, like, just like, I mean, and it's, it, it hit me. It was so out of the blue and unexpected. And grief is like that. No, I guess. Yeah. It is. And what, but what I do, what I do think is interesting is that sometimes, and I've witnessed this at cold dipping, I've certainly witnessed it through the ivory. Sometimes when life throws you the, the, you know, 
I don't even want to say the curveball because that's not doing it justice. But when, it, when you go through the deep, dark wood, I can't think of any other way to say it. Um, that's also when the most profound change can happen. So there's like, there's a part of me that sometimes is like when people, not that I would ever wish for anyone to feel the depth of grief, but there's also this idea where like, but you don't know where this is going to take you on the other side and the wisdom and compassion that you gain from that. And, and just like, like the, the revelation that you had, I mean, if you had ever asked yourself, like, would you walk all night? Uh, you know, all night, a five mile loop again and again and again, you'd say, no, that's crazy. And then you find this, these new pathways. And sadly we find them sometimes in, in really dark hours, but there's, there is this. And again, I I don't want to be Pollyanna about it because it's, it's painful, but it's so revealing. It's not a straight line line either. To your point, you know, you, um, I did that walk that night. You did your walk and your sundress and your flip-flops. doesn't mean it's over then. That's not to say that that one walk cured or solved or led me to something. It was a monumental moment, but it is not a cure-all. It, is, it wasn't a Band-Aid. And right. yeah, to your point, I don't, I don't want to imply that, oh, gosh, something hard happens, go for a walk, and you're going to feel better. That's that's not the message. The message is I knew what, for me, was um, a tool that I could use at that moment that was going to help me make the change that you're you're referencing. And yeah, the opportunity in those deep, dark moments is you see the world differently. Yeah. You just do. You see it differently. You feel it differently. You understand it differently. And again, not that we would want that for anybody. I think it's part of the human condition that we all, we all tiptoe through the deep, dark woods at some point. And we, we, I mean, nobody, nobody gets a get out of jail free card. You know, it's just, no, nope. and the opportunity is. is to is to look at the world at that moment, and um, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of opportunity, and isn't there is great change that can happen there. Yeah, and I don't take for granted my able-bodied or the support network that I had around me of friends and therapists and so on. So I don't mean also to imply again that one walk through the night was enough. Um, there was incredible support and incredible friends who, uh, helped navigate it. But, um, you know, that was my tool. That was, but what I admire about that tool, going back to our earlier conversation is it's, it's just taking the next step. It's the next step. And whether it's, I, you know, I almost call it the next right step, but we don't know if it's right or wrong until like, until we're already in it or through it, but it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's being willing to not know why you are putting your shoes on that night and not know why or how many laps you were going to do, how many miles you would go, not know why you got to your door and said, I need to go again. Like, I, I think part of it is, is like you said earlier, just trusting the instinct that you don't have to know the answer, but you're just going to, you're going to follow that inner path. Well, and it's not unlike, you know, we've referenced the cold water. I think there's a slightly different, for me anyway, slightly different lessons in the cold water, but part of Part of the cold water, and you referenced this earlier, is, you know, being really proud of yourself. I don't know that there's a lot of places in our world right now where there's sort of this beautiful ritual uh, that is so personal and so intimate and so vulnerable. And getting in the cold water is that way. It is really personal. It's really vulnerable. And you can't help but get out, aside from the beautiful dopamine rush, you can't help but be proud of yourself. To your point, if it's scary and you've chosen to step into the water, um, 
and it's pretty uncomfortable. It's, yeah. it's three and a half years in for me. It's still uncomfortable. And I know that a few minutes in, my body's going to relax and get to calm. And then, you know, things shift. Um, there's a really wonderful man, Dr. Andrew Huberman down at Stanford, who's done quite a bit of cold water work. And he talks about it getting over these hurdles. You know, the first hurdle is to get to the get to the water's edge. Just, the next, right. The right. next hurdle is actually to get in. And I have to say, um, I've started this practice with one of my sons. And there was one day I was hemming and hawing at the beach's edge. And he, excuse my language, he's like, get in the fucking water. And like, it doesn't get warmer. Just get in the water. And so that's the energy I sort of hold now. I always think of him when I'm at the water's edge. It's great. <laughs> just, just get in the water. Well, my first hurdle, to be honest, was getting out of my warm and cozy bed. Of course. And, and I was... I was even texting some girlfriends, you know, we have a little text thread of people that we carpool with over to the beach. And I was texting them one morning saying, have fun girls. And I took a picture of my beautiful, you know, cozy duvet cover and was like, I'm warm and cozy. I'm going to drink coffee in bed, have a good time. And they, you know, they were fine with that. And all of a sudden I'm like, no, I'm going to get out of bed and go get in that water. So it's, it is interesting. I mean, even from the moment I like set my foot out of bed to get there by 7 a.m., I'm like, okay, there's one thing I did today. <laughs> if I do nothing like else. That, right. It's that feeling of like when you make your bed and you're like, yes, look yes. at me go. <laughs> but yeah, you're exactly right. A, the decision to do it, B, to get out of bed, three, to actually get to the beat, you know, so there's these constant hurdles. And I think, you know, what I said earlier is to take this narrative that we've identified. I held dearly to the, I hate cold. Look at me. I mean, it's, I have my turtleneck still on. I, I have a cozy turtleneck on. It's 70 degrees out. I, so I'm still in that space. Right. It's going to take me a long time to get over it. Um, I, I just think the opportunity to look that definition in the face and say, mm, you're a limiting belief. I don't want that limit anymore. And then once you do it over here, you now start applying it to other areas of your life, for me anyway. Now that I've gotten in the water, and I do this primarily on the East Coast, it's frozen lakes. It's Now that I've done that, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where I'm like, eh, I don't know, I feel sort of shy about that. I don't, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You get in that fucking cold water. I mean, like, right. what? Like, yeah. that's, that is a story that is in your head and... I don't mean to be disrespectful of what's in my head, but you know what? You can can decide something else. How about if you decide the other story, which is, yeah, let's go. I'm going to totally. take, take that next best step. I'm going to reach out. That scares me. But you know what? Let's go. <laughs> let's do it. It's it's so interesting, too, because I feel like I've learned through the cold water like that there's both sides of the coin, that there's there is there's something so beautiful. And one of my favorite visuals of the collective of women that are at the cold water is that is that often the, the newbies, the new people, um, someone holds their hand when they get in. And when's the last time you ask someone if you like, will you hold my hand? I'm a little freaked out. Will you hold my hand? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there for you. I'll hold your hand. It's the most beautiful humanity of just like, I'm scared. Will you stand by my side? I, I have to admit, I'm a little afraid of the seal. Sure. I, I have a little, there's a seal and he's darling. And I used to think seals were adorable. And now I have like my eye on him of just like, you're adorable, but you're also, you know, this is your turf, not mine. So it, it was, it was really cool. One day I had shared with some friends that I was afraid of the seal. I swam out where the seal had been seen shortly, you know, just before. And when the seal popped its head up, one of my friends, Devin yelled out, Grace, I'll be right there. 
And she swam over to me. She knew like it was just, that was kind of, it was putting me up against my fear. And just knowing that someone is noticing and knows your fear and says, I'm coming. I thought it was just, I was like, wow, like that's humanity, right? Like it's just, and then the flip side of that is I have another story where I was, we were going out. I was going through the mind of like, do I really want to do this? It's cold. Like, am I going to do this? And my friend Maura said to me, Grace, you've done, we've done stuff way harder than this. We've been through way harder. You could just get in the water. Like, and I was like, oh my God, that's another way of looking at it. It's like, like you said, just get in the fucking water. Like you've done so much more. You, you, not, not that, but we've been through, we've been through greater challenges, greater grief, um, greater fear even than cold water. And there was something like really balancing to me about that of like, not only it's okay to be afraid and have someone hold my hand and swim over quickly to help. And it's also okay for someone to remind me, like you, you've managed grief before you can get in the water. <laughs> right. right? No, I, those are beautiful stories. And by the way, we had a really a couple of nice interactions with a seal this week and felt very tender and very loving. I was, I had come out and the seal popped up right next to me and started swimming all around. I wish I had had my underwater camera case on my phone because it was totally swimming around my legs. <laughs> and I just kept giggling like this. Everybody was a little further out. I'm like, you guys, the seal's right here. He's right here. It's very sweet. Actually. I didn't yeah. feel threatening, but, um, and we haven't seen it that much. So it you're safe. I'm with it, you. <laughs> it might be time. I mean, it's like, but it's, it's interesting, right? Cause it's like, it's another fear to work through. It's another pushing of the container. And, you know, people can reassure me all day long that, that there's nothing to be afraid of. And I just need to get in the water and know that from, you know, like, I mean, it's, it, it's all part of the metaphor, I guess is what I'm saying. It's all part of the metaphor. No, you're exactly right. And uh, with the holding of hands, we, we, have an ebb and flow group in the east coast and that was always i don't remember how that started but it was always one of the really key tenants that um, when somebody new came that um we look them in the eye and say you know you're you're safe and we're with you um, we don't do anything that's unsafe let me start by saying that the water isn't cold enough for us to get hypothermia in this bay area it's right staying long enough we are you know we sort of joking about the seals, but we're very attentive and mindful of we are in their their space. Right. Do not approach them. Um, we are very respectful of that. That being said, the way we get in the water um, is is very tender. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot out there right now in social media with cold exposure that is very that for me anyway is filled with a lot of bravado. How cold, how long? Right. For me, I prefer to get in the water with incredible, I mean, to get in the water we, where we get in, it is mind blowing to get and see the sun come up. I have such gratitude. I don't really care how cold it is. I don't really care how long we stay in. I'm just so, I am so happy to be in that water. Oh my gosh. Two days ago, it was just as foggy as it can be. Like it was like swimming in the clouds. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that tenderness of being able to reach for somebody's hands. I, one story I was, um, it, it was on the East Coast and it was particularly cold. And I I don't need to drop the details of it other than to say it was well below freezing and the water was, you know, there was ice in the water. And we, again, we're incredibly safe. We, no, we now right. know what we're doing. We have all sorts of, you know, a, uh, thoughtful people by our side. In any case, I, it was really, for me, when it gets windy, it's really hard. It was really windy. 
And uh, what I was really scared of was getting out of the water. And um, so as we were going in, I literally, I, I mean, I trust these women my my life in many ways. And I just reached over and grabbed my friend Ari's hand. We didn't have to say anything. We did not say a word to each other. We'd been getting in the water for months. And I just reached over and grabbed her hand and she squoezed my hand back. And again, it brings me to tears. Like how often yeah. do we do that? Right. And we just walked in. We didn't have to say anything. We got in. She continued to hold my hand. We just looked at each other. We got out. It was, it was like one of the most, um, I don't know, is it sacred? Is it delicious? Is it, I don't know. It just felt so cared for, right? You it's feel so loving. It's, yeah, loving. it's loving. Yeah, it it's really, really is. Yeah, and there's not a lot of times in our life when we're we're doing that. We we now have a joke on the beach that it um I don't know if everybody's seen this, that um the recommended daily dose of hugs every day is eight hugs. We all need eight hugs. Um, oh, I'm so glad to have a number. We need to know this. We no, need well, to know this. You know what? I'm happy to raise it up, but that's what we've been yes. reading. So now when we get to the beach, we hug everybody. Everybody hugs everybody. <laughs> like, well, that's it's such a great segue for something that I have been dying to say to you um, and to the other women of the collective that have, you know, helped to create this container. But, you know, I, I again, I've spent the last 10 years building community and I was laughing to myself the other day. I was buying um, lettuce and on the, the lettuce box, it said, join our community. And I was kind of like, well, why? Like what, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, like what's going to happen when I join the lettuce community? And because the thing is, is that the word community is thrown around a lot. It's used as a marketing tool. It's, But what you have done and and what I hope I have done with the hybrid, because it's absolutely my intention, is is communities don't just happen. And when, when someone feels um, that real authentic sense of belonging and when they feel like they have someone's hand to hold, whether that's literally or metaphorically, like it's not a coincidence. It's not, it's thoughtful and intentional. And I just want to honor that, you know, I know what goes into holding space for a community so that people feel like they are really included, really cared for, really loved. And even the fact that you're just saying like that you that you're encouraging people on the beach or, you know, that everyone's hugging now, like even just telling this number of like eight hugs a day keeps the doctor away kind of thing. I, I mean, it's really interesting to me because I, I, it's one, it's something I just don't take for granted one bit that in community, the, the way you have created ritual. And I, I want to share one of the rituals um, that I've experienced through ebb and flow collective, which is to face the sunrise. And um, someone reads a Mary Oliver poem about starting the morning. And what is it called again? Why I, I wake early. Yes, yes. I mean, the fact that there's this this ritual, this anchor that, and there's this moment where we stand together and we honor the sun rising and you feel the belonging of like, I am part of this, of almost like a tradition. And then we get in the, you get in the water, we get out, everyone's, you know, kind of warming, pouring some warm water on their toes and getting the sand off their feet and getting their cozy sweats back on. And, but there's this feeling of, it's just a very authentic feeling of belonging that I, that comes over me each time. And I want to honor that again, it comes from this intention and this way of like, and I, I know whether it's you and, and others, and that spreads contagiously throughout the collective. Um, but it's, it's, it's very purposeful. It doesn't just happen. Um, and I that's what authentic community is. 
And I feel like between the, you know, the ritual, the kindness, the looking out for each other, um, the, the consistency, that's real community. That's a real feeling of belonging. That's not what happens when I just look at the lettuce box and it says to join the community. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I think it's really important because I, I think it's rare. I think that's why it's so special. So I just, I really want to honor that, um, just as someone that has built a community myself and knows what it, what it takes to create that level of intentionality. And you've done that with the collective as like a, and I'll use it like as a hive mind that there's no one person that has all the answers, but together we can figure it out. I just, I think it's really beautiful. And I want to thank you for that. Well, I'm, well, thank you for those kind words. I don't know that I did anything other than get in the water and and um, have some really lovely, authentic, brilliant um, others join me. So, um, you know, the, the thing about, I think, really healthy communities is um, yeah, um, they are nourished by the community, right? Right. And so um, they, you know, the reading of the Mary Oliver poem came from something that we did in the East Coast version, but everything else is because the community has stepped in and sort of led with what's important, right? Okay. It's, um, I think, um, I, I, I too am really uh, nourished by getting in the water with this crew. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's also very tender. The thing about getting in the water is you there's a certain vulnerability that happens in that moment. And I also know, you know, that um communities can 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 become challenging in that, you know, um like anything else human, right? There can yeah. be dynamics that are hard to that are sometimes invisible, they're sometimes visible, they're sometimes, you know hard to navigate. And I think my, my hope is that it's a place of, of kindness and support and a place for you individually to do something you never thought you could do. And by doing that, there's a sense of energy and pride in yourself. And guess what, guess what happens when you take care of yourself? This is to quote my dear friend, Alex L with whom I do a podcast she always says so beautifully, when we take care of ourselves, it's really a radical act of taking care of our community. Yes. So by showing up on the beach and carving out that time and doing something hard and something brave and something for yourself, you can't help but then feel really proud of the person next to you, regardless of whether in quote unquote real life, there's places where there's a little scratchiness or friction for whatever reason. I don't think you can get in the water and get out of the water um, without being really proud of yourself and therefore the person who did it with you. Um, I guess that's the way I feel. I just, I'm, I got in the water actually two Sundays ago, there was probably 35 people. I just burst into tears because I feel, oh my gosh, I might get choked up right now. I'm sorry if I do. Woo. Um, I think the, opportunity for people to have access to that kind of love and feeling seen is kind of extraordinary. Yes. It's really kind of extraordinary. And um, yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, um, I must admit, I love getting in the water by myself. I love getting in the water when it's really quiet 
Um, and then on Sunday, when there's 35 people, there's nothing more that lights me up to think, oh my gosh, all these people now have access to the same thing. I'm not going to gatekeep this. This is like the more people who have access to what you just described, this feeling of pride for the person next to you, uh, care, hugs. I have to acknowledge my dear friend, uh, um, Sarah Gertz, who back in the East Coast was the one who, um, with our community there, started showing up and saying out, out loud, I love you to everybody. Hey, Lib, mm -hmm. I love you. Hey, Grace, you know what? I love you. And all of a sudden that sort of spread through the community. And that's what I mean. There, is, you know, there are people who start communities, but the way it stays vibrant and alive is a community that participates and, you know, is nourished from the inside. She would just, she just showed up. She started saying, I love you to everybody. And now, honestly, every text that we send to each other, like, you know what? I love you. <laughs> I totally love you. <laughs> and so she just beautifully, instinctually brought that to life. And now that's embedded within the the group. So, um, yeah. And it's by saying it. It's, it's interesting. Like, we have to act on it. Because that's another thing that I think happens a lot in our society is that, you know, whether it's like, like the lettuce company saying they have a community and, and maybe they do. I don't mean to be down on them. I just, <laughs> right. I, just I just couldn't understand like, like what it meant for me, but, um, but it's, it's not just, um, it's not just, it's not just the feeling of community, but we often talk about values, right? Like you'll hear companies, organizations talk about values. Um, and that's great, but they have to be acted upon. And, you know, at the Hybrid, we always talked our, we said our values are kindness, creativity, and community. Kindness is always first. And we had, you know, an amazing team at the high rate. And what I really appreciated about them is that I told, we had a training, you know, for anyone new that was working for the high rate that said one of them was when someone walks in the door, you, you have to give them real eye contact and say like, they, no one can get by without having real eye contact so that everyone that walks in the door feels truly seen. Cause it's that, you know, that weird feeling when you go into like a retail shop and they don't say hello and you feel like you're kind of in their space and you don't belong there. And like, and there's like an awkwardness where it's like, I, I feel like I shouldn't be here. Like I'm kind of intruding on something that they were doing or that I'm not the right customer or, I mean, that's unseen. And, but the feeling of being seen is so extraordinary. And so like that, it, that is, it's so real. It's our humanity, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's really important. And that's not to say, you know, there aren't, that's not to say that in any of these organizations, you know, that are not even organizations, these collectives, these communities, um, there isn't real life Stop. reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, the other day, I, actually, I showed up at the beach and I don't know, there was something in my head there. I, I was really processing something. I was so not present. And um, after I got in my car, after I was like, I didn't even say hello to whoever it was. I was like, wow, I must have like just shown up like an absolute bitch this morning. <laughs> like, and I also think there needs to be space for that as well, right? There, There is that component. The only thing we can possibly do is not fake our way through that authenticity is to show up and like go back and like, you know what? Yesterday, I didn't even say hello to you. I didn't even say hello to myself to be perfect. Right. I can't believe I got in the water and got out, but um, so I think it's also that recognition that as a organization and a group, a community of people, there is real life that we're real. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it happens sometimes. And the only thing you know, it happens, let's say 51% of the time, most of the time, sometimes it doesn't. And that's right. just the way we humans are. 
I will say one of the other components, maybe even maybe most importantly, uh, it's hard to know, um, is the other thing that happens in this community is that um, here's the deal. We're showing up in our bathing suits. We're stripped down. We're stripped yes. down. We are stripped down, right? Like, the, and I think without it being overtly stated, there is an unwavering acceptance of all of our beautiful bodies, however we show up. My body, age 61, my gosh, I don't know, did I just drop all my estrogen and all my testosterone? My body looks like my 71-year-old mom's right now. Like, I've got my mom's arms. I've got like, I walk a ton. I look down at my legs. I'm like, I don't even recognize them. I used to be an athlete. You know what? At some stage, it's sort of like, here we are. Here we are with all of our yeah. bodies, our beautiful bodies. I've had so many women say to me, I never used to get in the water because I never would put my bathing suit on. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's, it was a very profound realization for me. And there's something, you know, for those of you listening that haven't um, had this experience of cold dipping, one thing someone shared with me is they said, you might want to wear a bikini because it's easier to get off. Like you right. need to get, once you get out of the water, you don't want that cold fabric on your body and it's just easier to get off. And I, there, so if I compare the two sides of my life, like there was one side of my early childhood, teenage, early adult life as a dancer where your, your body was being judged all the time, up and down every which way. And if, you know, like if you didn't, have some issue with that, you probably weren't awake. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a lot. It was a lot. So comparing the way that I used to feel in group situations about my body and then coming to this collective, wearing a bikini that I hadn't worn for 10 years, you know, and we've all had things like, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, this isn't a secret, but I had, I had a double mastectomy, um, late 2018. I have not put a bikini on since. I mean, really like no way. So standing in that group of women in a bikini and everyone feel like it's not, it's just not about that. I, I, it was an extraordinary shift for me. Extraordinary. So I'm really glad you brought that up because it was so profound for me. And I didn't even, I didn't really think about it until after the fact. And then I was like, wait a minute. First of all, who even knew that I still had that bikini? <laughs> right. 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 And, and, and you were putting it on for functional reasons, not, yeah. you know, it's like it, all of a sudden the bikini had a different reason. It was really easy to take on and off. <laughs> yeah. But it's so, it's, I'm, it's just really beautiful. Um, you know, I've sit on the beach as right as we're about to get in the water and, and had some of the, a very similar realization to what you just pointed out that it was like, you know, just, I, I think there were, are there are ways that we have hidden and felt embarrassment or even shame or comparison that are so ingrained in us that we don't even notice them anymore. We notice them, but we don't name them. And when you take that all away and we stand on the beach and like in all our glory in our bikinis or whatever we're wearing, you know, whatever. And again, like, you know, legs, not moisturized hair on sideways, <laughs> like probably haven't shaved all week or whatever. It just, it doesn't matter. And it's, it's, it's part of that humanity. It's you've built, it's, it's really beautiful. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's really beautiful. Well, yeah, I think it's, um, and I, we try and take pictures when people get in the water and uh, somebody said to me the other day, you know, what I really love about the pictures is number one, everybody is smiling, like 
smiling ear to ear in them. Totally. Number two, they said, you know what I love is I love taking these photographs and then sending them to my family because it says I can, I can now say to my family, I can tell them I'm getting in the cold water. I, and one woman said, you know, my family just couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. And I keep sending them these pictures from the weekend. And I look as happy as can be. I'm surrounded by women laughing their heads off. I yes. mean, pretty playful and joyous. And um, I got in the car after that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought of the impact of being able not only to see yourself doing that, but then to be able to say to whomever it is in your inner circle, look what I'm look what I'm doing and yeah. to receive support. And um, again, being seen. Right. Uh, one woman said, my sons are so proud of me. And I thought, how many, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of components that are, um, I think, um, I can only speak for women, but I don't think women have a lot of opportunity for that. And I think it's really, so it's really powerful, can be pretty powerful. I think you're right. It's been powerful for me. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Libby, it's such a joy to talk to you. And this is exactly what I hoped is it's almost like sitting down for a cup of coffee with you. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's so important for us to have examples of what it's like to move forward, what it's like to be a seeker, you know, what it's like to keep going when, when life is challenging. Um, and I just think you're such a shining example and you've been so inspiring to me both, you know, and, and for those of you that are listening, you have to check out Libby and Alex L's podcast called This Morning Walk. I, I love it too, because you can even hear the crunch of the leaves. Like it's so, I'm so in it with you too. Like it's just, it's <laughs> the best. And then Libby also documents her walks on Instagram at park here, which is fabulous and inspiring and often has, um, beautiful quotes. And there's just, there's a, there's so much yummy stuff. And then your book, I just want to mention your book because the, your book is called do walk, yes. uh, navigate earth, mind and body step-by-step. So even the title is just so, um, congruous to what we've just been discussing, but, uh, Libby, is there anything else you want to share before? Well, we... I just want to congratulate you on creating such an, an, an empowered space and, um, gratitude because i think um we need more places and spaces like this for women to gather and uh thank you for inviting me i'll see you at the beach i'll see you at the beach i love it i love it libby thank you so much you're just such a joy to talk to you i I really appreciate this conversation and i can't wait to see you at the beach okay (laughs) i hope you found this episode helpful idea provoking and inspiring especially if you're in the midst of creating or clarifying your next chapter. I can't even put into words how much I appreciate you, your vulnerability, your stories of creating a life and meaningful work amidst adversity, grief, ever-changing and challenging times, and of course, life's peaks and uncertain valleys. You are seekers, wisdom sharers, and artists of life, and together, we can build meaningful next chapters that feel aligned with who we really are, what we're put on this earth to do, and how we can make a difference one human being at a time. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And I would love it if you could leave a review for The Art of What's Next. If you know someone who wants to create a new chapter 
or who would appreciate this episode, please share it with them. You can text it to them or email them the link or post about the show on your Instagram. If you want more help in creating your own meaningful next chapter, join the Hivery newsletter to get inspiration, stories, and resources to help you create your next chapter like an artist. Sign up at thehivery.com forward slash podcast or at the link in the show notes.